Hi everyone, it is Devin and Courtney back again with another episode of Eat Me and Question Everything. Today we are joined with Amy Berger. Thank you so much for being with us, Amy. Thank you for having me. And can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself before we get into all the good stuff? Yeah, the shortest version is I am a low-carb and keto-oriented nutritionist and writer. I've written a couple of books. Um, I do individual consultations, but I also just, um, I, I help create online courses and um, just really passionate about teaching people about the power of eating a low-carb diet and how many things it can improve totally apart from things like weight loss and diabetes that most most people know this for it can do so many other really incredible things as as you know right right so are you a are you a conventionally traditionally taught nutritionist did you come from a very standard like going to a university learning what all nutritionists the standard american diet or are do you have like a primal background I was very fortunate in that I, I was a career changer. I went back to graduate school for nutrition after I had already been doing a low carb diet myself for a few years. So I did not have to unlearn something that I had been taught years before. I didn't have to like deprogram myself from the, you know, oh, eat lots of grains and saturated fats bad for you. Like I went into a nutrition program already knowing some, you know, knowing some about, about, um, nutrition and metabolism, but I was able to learn all of that science in the context of like, oh, that's why insulin does what it does. Oh, that's why we need that vitamin. And it, it just made a lot more sense to me, but I feel very fortunate that I, you know, I have a lot of, um, colleagues who were conventionally trained dietitians or nutritionists who, learned what they learned about a keto or carnivore type of way of eating through their own health problems or through trying to help so many clients or patients and failing like how come nobody's getting better how come nobody's losing weight like I know I'm a good practitioner I'm telling I'm giving people good advice like what's wrong here and they had to like re-examine maybe the advice I'm giving is not so great. So no, I, I feel fortunate that I, I did not have to go through um, that sort of cognitive dissonance period of, of questioning everything that I thought I knew. Now, was it hard in graduate school though? Like knowing what you did know and being taught kind of the traditional methods that most, or did you kind of like I want to say kind of, oh, like write it off because you're like, yeah, we know this isn't necessarily the 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 whole picture, the truth for everyone. Yeah, the the interesting thing is, I I didn't really have to do any of that because, you know, human anatomy is human anatomy. The the body works the way it works. Our organs do what they do. Biochemistry is biochemistry. There's no religion involved in that. There's no bias. There's no dogma. It's like here's this enzyme. Here's what it does. Here's this metabolic pathway, here's what it does. So there was no, um, when you learn basic science, 
there's just none of that bias even introduced because you're learning fundamental facts about the way the body works, regardless of what you eat. Here's what this hormone does. Here's what this thing does. And but I, I also feel fortunate again. I I went to the University of Bridgeport and I chose that school. Now it's a um fully accredited, it's a master's degree in nutrition, but I chose that school because I knew that they you know, nobody was teaching keto at that time. Like there was no university level certification in ketogenic diets or carbohydrate restriction. But I knew that that particular program was also not going to be super conventional, like food pyramid, cholesterol's bad. I knew. And the, the reason I sort of had that feeling is because the there are five accredited naturopathic medical colleges in the US, or maybe there's four in the US and one in Canada. And people will think of naturopathic medicine what they will, but I just knew that, and, and Bridgeport has one of them, that the mere presence of a naturopathic medical college within that university told me that they at least are open to looking at some type of alternative paradigm, some type of thing, outside of the conventional approach and not ignoring fundamental science, but also being open to like, well, what, what else works? What else could be going on here? And um, I, I think that, that I was right in that. Like, again, I didn't no, nobody in my school was teaching keto, but I have to say most of the prep, most of the professors were kind of like, yeah, people are probably eating way too much carbohydrate out there. And, and most of them knew that, you know, red meat was not bad for you. Saturated fat by itself was not killing people. So I was just, I was lucky, but I think because I was already eating low carb for so long, I was deliberately looking for a program that would be a little bit, you know, unconventional. And I, I found one, I think. Right, right. And it's so, what stuck out to me, what you said is like the fundamentals of chemistry and biology and biochemistry together it, it is what it is and this stuff really does go hand in hand when you look down to to the to the molecular science like it just it goes hand in hand and i think a lot of people in this space will go well it's science that you know red meat causes <clears throat> you know all these issues or um fat causes all these issues and all these things but when you get down to the very basic science that's that's really not what we, that's really not it, you know, and we know this, but it's just, that has been so you're, you're right. There's like this dogmatic approach to standard nutrition. Now that people aren't getting down to the nitty gritty basic science to unlearn this, um, kind of brainwashing that we've been through and experienced in our everyday education. Yeah. It's when, when people make a claim about something it's on them to prove the claim. It's not on us to disprove it. If somebody's making an assertion, they need to have the evidence to back that up. And they just about never do, like with red meat or saturated fat or cholesterol or anything. Um, it's just that these things have been repeated so often that so many people just take it on faith. They just believe it. Oh, of course we know this. Oh, everybody knows that. Well, where's the scientific basis for that? And there, there often is none. It's yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the studies that these people, you know, get from a Google search, um, some of them are just so poorly done, but they don't understand that, you know, 
nutrition and human studies are often very, very flawed in their approach and the way that they're done. Um, but when you have a peer review study, it's often looked at as perfection. Like this is the highest standard of research that you can achieve. Um, and it's very um, almost taken as absolute, um, not questioned with the um, how did they really achieve this information? And is it realistic to get this result just from doing a human study, which we all know is very oftentimes not um, done in a very controlled way. So could not agree more. I mean, often this stuff fails the very basic sniff test, you know, the basic, like just looking at it quickly, it's not even like, oh, this is not even worth my time to read the study. Like it just, it's that poorly done. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. You want to dive into some questions? Yeah. Sorry. We could go on about that subject <laughs> for an hour in itself, but you wrote a book, you wrote a book and it's a very good book. Can you tell us about that? What, why did you pick that topic specifically to write about out of all the things that you could have chosen? Uh, specifically, because I know you have a few, but the, all, the Alzheimer's. Oh, I was talking about that, like, that is the book that I like know specifically. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think that's the book that, for lack of a better phrase, like put me on the map of low carb. Before that book came out, I was not speaking at any conferences. I wasn't invited to present anywhere. Now, you know, that that happens many times a year. Um, my book, yeah, The Alzheimer's Antidote, it actually came out of my graduate thesis. I, I wrote my thesis on this topic of Alzheimer's disease as type three diabetes, or they also call it diabetes of the brain. And after I, I wrote this, the thesis was basically just a literature review of like all the published research around that topic. And after I graduated, I was thinking, I, I really believe and, and still do to this day that this is life changing information and nobody's ever going to see it. It's sitting on my professor's computer, you know, collecting dust. So I, I turned it into a book and I was blessed in that a publisher found the book being sold on, on, on a friend's website and they offered me um, a, a book deal basically to flesh it out and turn it into a book. And I, yeah, I just, to me, Alzheimer's disease is defined as and inseparable from a problem of glucose fueling in the brain. Um, the, the people with Alzheimer's disease, that is the major problem in the brain is that for, for some reason, the brain is not taking up and using glucose properly. So it's basically starving to death. We have an energy shortage in the brain. And that when you look at the published research, that's everywhere. But you go on the Alzheimer's Association website, you go on all these caregiver websites, it's crickets. They don't even mention brain glucose metabolism or hypometabolism, as they call it, like too little energy. It's silence. And, and I think it's criminal that this is not discussed more, that that we don't know for sure why that's happening, but that is the major problem. And, and there's other things that can impact cognitive function over the long term, too. Like you all know in the carnivore community, vitamin B12 deficiency is rampant in older people. Um, the Not to get too controversial, but certain types of statin drugs cross the blood brain barrier. And 
the brain is loaded with cholesterol. We need cholesterol for healthy cognitive and neurological function. So um, just all of these factors that really nobody, I, I don't wanna say nobody's discussing it. It's being discussed in very small circles among the ketogenic carnivore low carb community but the, the people who need it most, the, the people with this disease and their loved ones and caregivers have no clue about any of this. So <clears throat> I have heard, um, like you said, and I can't, I don't, Courtney was making fun of how I say it. Alzheimer's called diabetes of the brain. That's what I've heard. She's laughing at me again. There's no T in it. It's Alzheimer's. I, I, have, I have like a slight accent and that's like how it comes out. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's called diabetes of the brain <clears throat> and that's a problem receiving glucose. Has there been any concrete studies done with putting these patients on a strict ketogenic diet and how ketones can affect the brain as an alternative source of energy as opposed to glucose since the brain is no longer receiving glucose as it used to? Um, yes and no, <laughs> there, there is some research most, so you're spot on in that the reason anyone would even think about studying ketones or ketogenic diets in Alzheimer's disease is that if the brain is not metabolizing glucose properly, Ooh, Hey, Hey, wait a minute. There's this other awesome fuel called ketones. Like, Ooh, maybe the brain could use that. And lo and behold, research definitely shows that um, in people with the early stage, which is called mild cognitive impairment, and in people with more severe Alzheimer's, even though the brain is not taking up and using glucose, it does take up and use ketones. And most of the research so far has been done using MCT oil or these exogenous ketone esters and salts because the, we'll get to the diet in a second, but basically, you know, in a young, healthy person who wants to do a keto diet, it can be hard enough to stick to it long-term, right? Now introduce somebody that has cognitive impairment and good luck getting them to do a strict ketogenic diet. So, and, and also when you change the diet, so many other things change. Whereas if you just introduce the ketones, then the researchers can at least isolate it and say, we know this change was due to the ketones because that's the only thing we did. Versus mm -hmm. if you put someone on a ketogenic diet, there's so many different changes to the whole metabolism. But there, long story short, there are some small trials now of keto diets, not just the exogenous type of ketones. And they do show promise. Now, it is by no means a slam dunk miracle cure, like nobody misunderstand me out there. But the fact that some of these people improve at all is a miracle because so far, every single Alzheimer's drug out there doesn't do anything to make these people better. At best, they get worse more slowly, but they still get worse. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just... I think it's the most promising, most encouraging thing that they're looking at now at now is keto. And it it may depend, obviously, the the earlier it's caught, the earlier you intervene, the the more of a chance there is to really make a positive dent in this versus if somebody's really severely impaired, maybe you will improve their quality of life in the time they have left, but you're not really gonna do a whole lot to turn back the tide. But 
um, it's it's very promising. We we need more research, but it's growing. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask. That obviously, like preventative would be better, but there is slight hope where if they're in early stages, that maybe this could help slow it down. Maybe not reverse it, but just slow it down even. I think I do think it's safe to say that, and I do think some people do actually see improvement. Now, whether that improvement is going to be long-term is harder to say, but I also think it it can't just be the keto diet. Like, like I said before, they have to address other things to like, make sure, make sure the person doesn't have a B12 shortage, make sure they're not taking medication that impairs cognitive function. There's, I'm actually working on my fourth book right now. It's about thyroid undiagnosed or improperly treated hypothyroidism can cause cognitive impairment. So even if you address the diet, there might be some other things that also need to be addressed in order to really get someone to their best place. Um, but to, to go back real quick, just to clarify with people like this diabetes of the brain, type three diabetes, I think they, they understand because it's a glucose problem in the brain, but people need to know that, um, you know, in, in, in your community, the carnivore community, the keto community, we know that chronically high insulin and chronically high blood sugar are not only related to type two diabetes and obesity. What else do these things cause or make worse? PCOS, non-alcoholic fatty liver, gout. Some people have migraines, hypertension, all kinds of skin problems, all sorts of stuff. So why does anyone think that the brain is immune. There is not one single organ, tissue, or gland in your whole body that isn't negatively impacted by chronically high blood sugar or insulin. And so that's, again, where, where this whole type 3 diabetes angle comes in. Type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance or chronically high insulin, even when your blood sugar is normal, chronically high insulin is a massively increases risk for Alzheimer's. And again, this is something that is, in my opinion, um, indisputable, but you never hear about it in the Alzheimer's world. You don't hear anyone talk. They, they just like, oh, it's a total mystery. We have no idea why this is happening. Yeah. Okay. Now just to like clarify what you're saying. So blood glucose or glucose, cause like, I feel like everyone has those like keto mojo things that's testing your blood glucose, but you're saying insulin could be high. Is that the A1C on the test, on the lab results, or is that different? That is a great question. No, A1C is a measurement of your, it's measuring glycated hemoglobin. It's measuring the percentage of the hemoglobin protein in your blood that has become sticky with sugar. So it's still just a representative of blood sugar. And this I cannot emphasize this enough. Even if your fasting blood sugar is normal, and even if your A1C is normal, you could still have massively high insulin. And, and, and in, without exaggeration, millions of people, the fasting glucose and the A1C are normal because the insulin is so high. That insulin is still keeping that blood sugar in check. It's only after that has gone on for so long that the insulin can't even keep up anymore. That's when the blood sugar and A1C start to rise. But by the time that happens, 
you've you've already had the high insulin for years. There's I've read a couple of papers about type two diabetes that say that some people can have the chronically high insulin problem for as long as 20 years before the actual diabetes shows up. And this, it, I am not a doctor, but in my opinion, fasting insulin should be a standard part of routine blood work, just like your fasting blood sugar is. The, these problems could be identified so much earlier, the, before somebody literally starts to lose their mind. Okay. So that's where, cause I just got my labs done recently. So I'm trying to figure out, okay. So the insulin you're talking about, that would be under fasting insulin. That number is what your insulin is. Yeah. Oh. Okay. But e even then just not to confuse people, there's, it is possible to have a normal fasting insulin, but if you were to eat a meal, especially a high carb meal, your insulin jacks up really high and stays high most of the day. So you're your fasting level can be normal and you still have this problem. But I, I think in most people that have these issues, the fasting level probably will be a little higher than normal. Okay. And I would assume it's safe to say like when you're in ketosis, then these aren't so much of an issue if you were to be eating carbs or can us in ketosis still be having these for the high insulin? Well, so if you are generating ketones, like if you measure your ketones and they're kind of high, that's a good sign that your insulin is low because insulin kind of limits the production of ketones. So if you're generating good ketones, you can pretty, you know, be pretty confident your insulin is low. But if somebody has had type two diabetes for a long time or PCOS or stuff like that, um, it's just going to take a little bit longer for that to come down. So these people that kind of still struggle with some of these health issues or people that have a hard time losing weight, even on a carnivore or keto diet, sometimes for them, it's working. It's just taking a lot longer. So um, insulin is still coming down. It's just that they might have started from a place of being that much higher that it's going to take longer before they start seeing the results. So okay. That's, that is something I get asked every single day. I've been carnivore for three months and I've lost two pounds. And you're saying that that might be an issue, that there was a chronic um, <clears throat> raised insulin for probably a significant amount of time. And in order to kind of get that under control and maybe drop it down, it takes a long time to kind of heal that recover and get that stabilized to a normal level. And that might be why someone who, even if they're doing a ketogenic, low carb carnivore diet in a very appropriate and proper way, might be why some people aren't seeing those results as quickly as others. I do think that's one reason, you know, if, unless somebody had certain blood work done, we don't know where they were before. So they're right. on carnivore now, but we don't know where they started from. So they, they might actually be doing really, really well. And it's just going to take like eight times longer than it takes the average person. That is possible. But I, I also think, and, and you guys probably see, or gals, you gals probably see this all the time. Again, I see undiagnosed or improperly treated hypothyroidism all the time, because if, if people are, are hiring me for help, like a private consultation, 
it's because regular keto isn't working or regular, like they need help. They're like doing all the right things and it's not working. Otherwise they wouldn't need me. They wouldn't pay somebody for help. So, and, and even just for somebody to go to the extreme of a carnivore diet, which some people don't think it's extreme, but you know, it's, it's a pretty radical change for most yeah. people. You wouldn't, you you wouldn't just say, oh, I'd like to lose five pounds. I'm going to do the carnivore diet. No, you probably look for the carnivore diet because you felt really bad for a long time. And no matter what you do, you don't seem to really be getting anywhere. And I just think there's, there's so much undiagnosed or, or like I said, badly, poorly treated hypothyroidism. And some people who start out with a thyroid problem and do carnivore or keto actually get much better. I see that mostly in Hashimoto's disease, but not every case of low thyroid is Hashi's. And so you might be doing a carnivore diet perfectly. You might be doing keto perfectly. And if you still can't lose weight, and assuming we have weight to lose, I'm not talking about body dysmorphia where someone thinks they have 50 pounds to lose and they're actually already perfectly fine. If you really have weight to lose and it's not budging, it's um, sometimes the, the diet, if the diet alone isn't fixing it, then there's something else going on. Okay. That brings that, that I could just go on about that because that, that, you know, everyone in the very traditional health space will tell you like, oh, if you're not losing weight, you're lying about how much you're eating. Um, and I talk to so many, especially women, I think, and I hate to exclude the men out of this, but this seems to be a very, very women, female driven issue, at least I'm sure with court, I'm sure Courtney, that this is like, you get it from mostly women too. Um, and they're like, well, I'm eating, you know, I was told I was eating too many calories and I'm eating 1200 calories and I'm tracking and weighing every single thing. And I literally am not budging on the scale. And I, and I do think that that's a testament. Sometimes it is more beyond the calories. And I think that that's, um, been rejected by the very traditional conventional dietary fitness world. And I think a lot of people need to hear that sometimes it's it's not the calories and you aren't lying about being in a deficit. It could be something very internal and systemic that needs to be addressed that isn't being addressed by just changing your diet um, in this way um, and eating low calorie too. Oh, absolutely. And, and we see this, unfortunately, not only in the conventional medical and nutrition world, we see it in the keto and carnivore world. Well, if keto is not working for you, you're eating too many, you know, you're still eating too many carbs or, or if carnivore is not working for you, you need to do the lion diet. Maybe the eggs are the problem. The dairy is the problem. Like, oh my goodness. But I, I do think what what helps me identify hypothyroidism and again i say identify not diagnose i'm not a doctor but is they typically have a lot of other signs and symptoms it's not just that they can't lose weight they're also depressed constipated they're losing hair um their sex drive is gone they're cold all the time like there's going to be other things that sort of point in that direction but yeah it's they actually call it medical gaslighting. And yeah. I kind of hate that term, but like when you you clearly 
have something wrong. You're, you're, you feel awful. You're doing all the right things and nothing's working. And the, oh, oh, you're normal. Or you just need to eat less and exercise more. Like this, this is absolutely gaslighting to try to convince somebody that there's no problem when there obviously is one. And um, I give way too long answers, but you are not wrong that you see it more in women because women, um, I know not not everyone has a thyroid problem, but for those who do, it is a nine to one ratio of women to men affected. Men can get hypothyroidism. Women get it nine times more often. So like for every nine women that have low thyroid, there's one man that has it. Yeah, I had Hashimoto's for 16 years. 16 years. So I, I totally understand that. I got it when I was 14. So um all right. I could talk about the thyroid and like, I could talk about that, but I all day, Courtney, do you have any more questions about that? You probably not on this topic. No. Okay. I, um, would love to ask you about, um, ketosis and long-term like the long being in a ketogenic state for a long term period. I have heard from some huge influencers, social media people that being in a ketogenic state for a long time can really damage your body and do a lot of harm in your experience. And in your, just in your opinion, like, how do we gauge this? Because I don't even know. I don't even think, I, I don't think I have an answer for anyone who asks me that I have no idea. But I do want to add on to that while you answer, I have heard, cause I've heard the same thing that it's not good, but then I've heard even just having like more protein than we should or whatever, that there's little things like that, that could even kick us out of ketosis that have nothing to do with the carbs. So I don't know if that's true or not. And maybe it's a good thing to kick us out. I don't know. So if you don't mind answering all that. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think a, a lot of these questions are not answerable for sure right now. We we just don't know. One thing we do know is that having high blood sugar and insulin all the time is a disaster. So we know we don't want that. We can check that off right away. What we don't know if the very opposite of that is, is any better or worse of like ultra, ultra low insulin levels all the time. Um, I do not think that any harm will come from being in a ketogenic state for the long term, but the issues I do see creep up because I do see issues. They're not because of ketosis. They're because, um, in some cases, people are simply under eating their appetite is so suppressed and they feel so good that they just, without even trying, they're limiting their food so much that over that they're just not getting enough energy for their needs. And it's very common in women, especially those who exercise a lot and who work out a ton. So you've, you've probably heard, we just talked a lot about thyroid. There's all this buzz out there now about keto causing thyroid problems. Well, yeah, if you're inadvertently sort of accidentally starving yourself, your thyroid is going to get a little wonky. But again, I don't think that's because of ketosis. I think it's because you are just not getting enough nourishment, period. Whether it's protein, fat, carbs, your body's just starving. Um, so I just, I don't, I don't see this as, as that big a problem. But 
I also, um, I've had clients whom I recommended to eat more carbs. And it's not because being in ketosis long-term is dangerous. It's because based on their individual situation, what they were doing in life, what they were trying to accomplish, a little bit of carbohydrate would help. And I'm not talking two or 300 grams a day. I'm talking they went from a carnivore diet or like 20 or 30 total grams of carbs to like 70 or 80 grams, which is absolutely still a low carb diet. And they can still reap all the metabolic benefits of that way of eating, but they just have a little more energy, a little more oomph. So I, I just don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of harm in keto. I think it's what, how, how people go about it is the problem, not, not keto itself. It's how they're doing it. And, but I, I hate the way that sounds because it sounds like I'm blaming people. It's more like they just don't have the knowledge to do it properly. It's not, oh, you're doing it wrong. It's like, yeah, they're following some weirdo on the internet who doesn't, who is not giving them situational, you know, appropriate advice. Well, I really related to what you just said because I am huge into fitness. That is my priority right now. I love working out. I have some huge fitness goals and I've started tracking what I'm eating for the first time in a really long time. And I realized how severely under eating I am severely under eating. And so I've kind of had to address that under eating issue. And it makes me wonder long-term what kind of issues I might've faced if I didn't recognize that I was like, holy smokes, I'm probably eating like under eating by 700, 800 calories a day. And that's a lot of calories. That's like a, a lot. So I, I understand when you say that, um, some people are doing it the wrong way because I'm not hungry. I'm so satiated by the food that I'm eating that I can easily get away with only eating 1200 calories because I'm not hungry. But I know that long-term with me working out for two hours a day, just because I simply love it. And I'm working with someone that I'm, I, that, that I, that's not sustainable long-term. So I need to figure out a way when you introduce carbs to someone, what way do you recommend them eating carbs? Like what, what is their healthy carb intake when we're not talking about like a piece of like, like a cracker, you know what I mean? Like what is a healthy way for someone to, that you would recommend someone to intake carbohydrates? Yeah. Um, let me, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but thank you for sort of validating what I was saying. I mean, this is a real thing that happens to people. Yeah. And, um, I, I also wonder though, is it, I think it is a, when you feel better, certain people feel better. If it's, if it's, even that small amount of carbohydrate, or is it that that amount of carbohydrate stimulates the appetite so they end up eating more overall so they're finally getting the fuel they need? Right, so, I didn't even think about that. Like it almost creates like, would you say it almost creates like a little bit of an insulin, just like a tiny insulin, not spike, but increase. So that way that there's like a stimulation of the, the wanting to eat. Because I know like if you keep up if keep if your insulin keeps going up and down you do get those hunger those hunger cues to like eat again is that is it just enough to kind of give you that from an insulin spike per se um it could be it could be the insulin it could just be 
the stimulation of that taste in the mouth that just kind of makes you want more. But, and, and thank you for, you said spike, but then you said more of an insulin response. People, insulin is not poison, right? Insulin is not the enemy. We do need some insulin, especially if you're trying to build muscle. I mean, protein elicits an insulin response because that helps us to build muscle. Right. It helps deposit the amino acids in the cells. It, everybody in, in keto and, and carnivore in this sort of world, many people have a habit of very black and white thinking. Insulin is bad. I should never, ever have insulin. Glucose is bad. Never, ever. No, there is a sweet spot for all of it. You would die without it. Ask a type one diabetic how important insulin is because they will die without it. We need insulin. We need a little bit of glucose. We need cortisol. We need oxygen. We need water. All of these will also kill us if we get too much, but well, they'll kill us if we get too little. So there, I, I hate that people are so, oh, insulin. Yeah. Insulin, you know, there's how many billions of healthy, lean people around the world do not eat ketogenic diets. So um, anyway, getting back to your original question. No, I, love, of, I think we both <laughs> love this. This is so good. I just, I, I mean, people come to me like, they, you know, they'll, oh, Amy, I'm looking for help with keto and they'll send me a little email. I can feel their anxiety radiating out at me. Everybody has become so scared of, of normal human physiology, right? Um, but it's with almost, regard to increasing carbs. It's almost like there's been a demonization of certain things. And um, yeah, you're, you're right though. Like there's become like this fear it's demonized it's feared and a lot of these things are so like a lot of people who are like well i don't want to eat enough protein because i don't want to get kicked out of ketosis and that is such a short amount of time that you will get kicked out of ketosis and the protein and this is some i'm on a protein journey right now because i was under eating protein and so i like am realizing like it might kick you out of ketosis for such a short amount of time but the benefits of eating that protein and getting that essential nutrient are so much more important than being in a state of ketosis all the time. That's how I'm like discovering it as I talk to people too. Um, so yeah, there, there's been a demonization. That's my caveat to what you were saying, because I think that that's probably what you see so much of. And if it does kick you out of ketosis, which is like nails on it, who cares? Unless you have a medical need to be in ketosis all the time, who cares? You can absolutely have a fat burning metabolism, even if you're not generating a lot of ketones. People just do, the, I've often joked, and I don't even know if I'm joking anymore, I think I'm serious. You should not be allowed to buy a ketone meter or a CGM without sitting through a four hour biochemistry lecture first so that you don't freak yourself out over totally normal blips in these numbers. It, if, you're, if you are out of ketosis for half a day, so? Not, not you personally, but again, unless somebody if, somebody, if somebody has a migraine because of that or a seizure, that's different. Or if you are using a therapeutic medical keto diet with, with your oncologist, very different scenario here than a bodybuilder or someone who wants to lose 10 pounds. These are very different situations. And I just, ideally, 
ideally what we're all really going for is what they call metabolic flexibility so that you feel equally well whether you're eating lots of fat or a moderate amount of carbs or protein you your body is just so healthy and well that you can feed it whatever and you just keep chugging along just fine ideally we won't need to be in a ketogenic state you know but i I don't want people to misunderstand. I, I make my living off of the low carbon keto diet. Like I know how important it is, but I just think people are too concerned with this being in ketosis and they can't even tell me why. What difference does it make if, if your ketone level is 0 0.1 for three hours versus 0 0.7? Mm -hmm. so, some people do feel noticeably different, but many don't. Now. The insulin, I want to ask you this and then we can get on to another topic because I could talk to you about this all day. Now, you said something about like when you're working out, your insulin spikes so that you can get those amino acids to your muscle for, you know, the building and recovery. Is that why they tell you not to test your ketones after you work out? Because you're, are you using the ketones for energy during a workout or is it because of an insulin? And I hate this. There's no way an insulin bump. I don't like to say it's spike. is not the, there's just a bump and increase in insulin in the body. Or is it just because of both of those things? Cause I was always told I used to be a ketone tester. I haven't in probably a year, two years. Um, and they always like my, one of my first fitness coaches was a big keto person. She's like, you don't test your ketones after you work out. It's a waste of a ketone strip. Um, I, I've not heard that, that like people have been discouraged from testing after a workout. I think you could, but yeah, you might. I think, I think some people will see an increase in ketones. Maybe some won't, but I, it could be because of the insulin, but you're, it's not like it's, I use the word response. Protein okay. elicits an insulin response, yeah. which is totally normal. Um, but I, I, I don't know why you. I, I guess if if somebody is especially concerned about maintaining some particular level of ketones, and it goes down after your workout, you might. Oh, I, I should never work out because it's decreasing <laughs> my ketones. But I just something that gets lost in all of this measuring and testing and 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 the the heart rate variability and this and that is the single most important question that most people forget to ask how do i feel mm -hmm. if you feel well and you have good energy and you have a good mental outlook who cares what your ketone level is who cares who cares if your ketone level is 3.5 and you have six pack abs if you are miserable? And I just, I, I hate to be so controversial, but I mean, I'm sure you, you know who Mark Sisson is. Mm -hmm. Mark Sisson said something a while back, like the day I need an app to tell me whether I'm happy, just take me out and shoot me. <laughs> like, don't like, like for, for the people that like to measure and track the data, that's fine. But I just, you know, having having a particular ketone level is not what causes fat loss. It's not what causes muscle growth. It's just a a measurement of something that is happening in your body at that one point in time. You know, these people that are like just 
I, I, there's ways to increase your ketone level that could actually be counterproductive to weight loss and some of these other things like, and, and, and muscle building. So, um, I'm not opposed, people probably think I hate testing. I'm not opposed to testing at all, but I, if people test, I want them to be able to understand the numbers that they see. I don't want them getting really scared over totally normal fluctuations in these numbers. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's just a snapshot of moment in time. Like I bought one a month ago. I did it <laughs> once and I haven't done since. And I just got it just because I was like curious because everyone's sharing theirs. I'm like, oh, I'd like to know where I'm at. But yeah, I haven't done it since. I probably will here and there. Just, I don't know, for shits and giggles. But um, I wanted to um, ask you something that you actually just mentioned. Um, so I feel like the majority of us know that like keto was kind of, you know, not created, but it's, it was mainly used to treat epilepsy. And I was going to ask you about your thoughts, because obviously it's doing something with the brain, if it also has to do with Alzheimer's, but migraines was going to be my question, just because I personally have a few close friends that really suffer with migraines. And I was just curious if like, if that comes into play, if that could help. Yeah, there's, there are some studies on this keto for some people doing keto, just sort of garden variety type of keto makes migraines go away completely. And it's like a miracle for other people. Keto helps a lot, but it's not like, it's still kind of a problem. And a lot of people with migraines need ridiculous amounts of salt, like sodium and magnesium too. They need like scary amounts of sodium and magnesium. And so keto can go a long way, but there's other things that these people need to kind of micromanage more than somebody that just wants to lose 30 pounds. Um, when, when I get somebody with migraines, I refer them to somebody named Angela Stanton, the Stanton migraine protocol. She's like the keto for migraine person, but yeah, I, anyone with migraines should absolutely try keto, you know, tr try I just know. normal keto first and see how far that gets you. And then you can see if you need to mess around with electrolytes and all this other stuff. Yeah. I suffered. I had my second son and there was something about my second pregnancy. I started getting really chronic migraines, like horrific, horrific migraines. And it wasn't until I went carnivore that I haven't had a migraine since going carnivore because I was keto for about four and a half, five years. And once I went carnivore, that seemed to have really helped, but I wonder if it's my salt intake. I never salted my food when I was keto. Oh, oh really? Never. I oh, never gosh. salted. Ew, my but didn't that not taste good? I use like a couple tablespoons a day now. <laughs> I never, and I'm starting to wonder if that was maybe it. Because like I would have sodium in the food that I would, but I would never put salt on top of my food. Yeah, so, some people on keto, even if you're eating food that's salty, they, they need a lot more salt on top of that. So that, that could have been an issue. But now I salt like all my meats. I salt like everything I eat. I pretty much salt. I drink salt when I'm working mm -hmm. out. And I like, you said that. And I was like, I never, ever salted my food when I did keto mm -hmm. ever. So yeah, Thank it could you. definitely be an electrolyte thing for sure. Interesting. Okay, Devin, is there any like last thing before we wrap it up? 
before we do our fun questions, I do oh, want to ask about those. Yes. One more um, hard hitting question that I think this is the one singular question that stands out to me that I get from almost anyone who reaches out. So this is a big one. Now I'm nervous. Um, I just watched one of your YouTube videos about food addiction and how there is this almost refusal in the academia world, the scientific community to actually diagnose something with like food addiction. Um, what would you recommend in a general stance? Cause I know that everything is so customizable. You are very strong believer that there are people who suffer from food addictions. I think all of us in this like carnivore keto, low carb space, anyone who talks about food as like medicine really understands that there's like a sugar and food addiction for someone who is really, really struggling with being addicted to food. What is your biggest recommendation to them to kind of overcome this need to eat certain foods? And I know that's a very general question. We obviously cannot get into specifics because it's just so personal, but as like a general. Um, I think first, like anytime I talk about this type of subject, I always like to be very clear that this is so common and so many people deal with this. So if somebody out there is listening or watching and you think that you're a food addict or a sugar addict, please know that you are so very not alone. The only reason you think you're alone is because everybody's ashamed. So nobody really likes to talk publicly about what they do. I mean, there are people with candy wrappers in the trunk of the car because they don't want their husband to see what they're eating or like they'll stop on the way to work. They're stopping at three different fast food places and, and, and they're pretending to order for four people. And like, so this super common, um, maybe not super common, but common enough. And if somebody's not already doing a strict ketogenic diet, that's where I would start. But when I say strict ketogenic diet, I mean, strict ketogenic diet. I don't mean like you are messing around with keto ice cream and keto cereal and keto granola bars. Cause guess what? If you binged on regular cookies, you're going to binge on keto cookies. And so <laughs> there, um, Dr. Eric Westman and I wrote a book together called End Your Carb Confusion. And, and the phase one food list that we give people is 20 total grams of carbohydrate per day or less. That's pretty strict. Like 20 total grams, you can't even eat that much broccoli. You know, there is no room for keto bread and keto treats and all this stuff. And for a lot of people that takes away the cravings, takes away that addiction problem for a lot of people. For some people, it doesn't. And they still, maybe there's something on the food. Like, like I personally can binge on pork rinds just because they're zero carb. Guess what? I'm not going to lose weight eating a family size bag of pork rinds every night. So like, I can't have them, you know, or some people will binge on cheese or nuts. So there's foods that we might think are perfectly okay for a low carb or keto diet. But if you binge on them, guess what? You can't have them. So, um, and then I, I, I've recommended the carnivore diet sometimes for people that are doing keto, still kind of having those problems let's get rid of every last bit of carbohydrate and see if that changes anything. And it often does. 
Sometimes not, but I think I just, there's a lot of people out there who think they're doing a keto diet, but it's some crazy wacko thing that they found, or they're trying to cobble together advice that they hear from 20 different people. And they're actually not doing a ketogenic diet at all. They, they might be eating a lot less carbohydrate than they were, but they're not actually, they haven't flipped those switches in the brain yet that might actually help them get over that addiction. Um, the, the last bit of that is don't do it alone. Find a support group, find a buddy, find somebody because if, if you need it, you know, hey, if you go keto or you go carnivore and life is great, you don't need outside help. But I just think with the addictive aspect, some people just need someone to talk to. You need someone to vent to. Um, so I think that like group support can be really helpful. Yeah, I agree. And I'm with you on those keto treats. I was keto on and off for six years before carnivore. And I didn't give a shit what I was eating ingredients wise, as long as the net carbs were low, the tortillas, uh, the cookie, the whatever, like it, no wonder it wasn't working for me. It yeah. was a vicious cycle. And I was like, crap. I was like you, I did keto for so long. And in the beginning, there were no keto treats there. You could not walk into a food store and find something low carb keto friendly. And that was when I was the most successful. It was my last two years when everyone started making these low carb keto treats, these fat bombs that I was like, I'm not losing. Like I had two super successful years just eating pretty much meat and veggies and dairy and then once those keto treats came into the picture, I was just unsuccessful, completely yeah. unsuccessful. Yeah. Yep. And I, do you want me to just go back with, I never actually answered the, oh, by the way, what you just described also super common. It was easier to be keto 10 years ago when none of this, you couldn't even get cauliflower rice at the store. That's like a new, th that goes to show how popular this has all become, that you can now buy pre-spiralized zucchini noodles and you can get, you know, all this other stuff that that you, you had to make that yourself 10 years ago. Um, but we never, I never answered about introducing those small amounts of carbs. Oh, yes. I would, I would love that because I really struggle. Like I'm in a, I'm in a change right now. So it's pure, it's kind of selfish too, but I'm sure there's someone who will benefit from, I, I always struggle with how hard I'm working to achieve. I'm, I'm working towards a physique change right now. And I'm kind of like in this crossroads where I'm like, I'm not eating enough for how hard I am working. I don't know if I need to change up something in my diet to kind of get more food into, cause I cannot eat more. Like I physically am not able to eat enough meat and I've introduced a protein shake, which has kind of helped, but I'm just curious about what you would do for someone like that, who just needs just like a little bit, you know? Um, in a situation, so in, in the book and your carb confusion, we walk people how to very gradually increase their carb intake but that's more for like let's say you have diabetes or pcos or you lost 100 pounds and now you kind of like oh keto's great but it might be nice to eat a peach every now and then like how do you find your sweet spot of how much carbohydrate you can eat and keep the weight off keep those medical problems from coming back 
your situation is kind of different in that you're working out a ton. Um, you don't really want to lose weight. You want body recomposition. So I would advise typically people like that, maybe a small amount of starch specifically, not, not sweet, but starchy, like a potato, sweet potato, beans, even, even rice for some people. I, I know that's like totally verboten in our world, but small amounts to start. Usually I say with the evening meal, like give your body the whole morning and afternoon to still be fat burning, to still be in that state. And then um, if you eat or, or post-work, you could either eat the carbs acutely post-workout or like if you work out earlier in the day still have the starch later in the day because you've kind of gotten rid of all that glycogen if you then eat starch later in the day most of that is just going to go to replenish that glycogen there's like very very low risk of that leading to body fat gain and 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 refilling that tank so to speak is probably going to give you more oomph next time you're at the gym like i i was I haven't lifted in a long time, but in a former life, I used to lift a lot more. And I found at one point I was really losing strength and power. Like I didn't even want to go to the gym. It was a chore. And somebody gave me the advice about kind of increasing my starch a little bit. And I felt like a new person. All of a sudden, I just had that pep. I had that energy and, and it didn't take much. Like it could be especially because people who've been strict keto for a long time, I totally understand. It can be almost terrifying to start eating carbs again. So go like half, half a sweet potato with dinner, you know, a, a quarter cup of beans, just to start, you might increase it from there, but a small amount that for someone like you or someone in a similar situation, that's still absolutely a very low carb diet. Like, like we, we, like you said earlier, we've just demonized this so much that people are afraid of an extra 20 or 30 grams of carbs. You know, well, the, your, your body's burning off immediately anyway. And you're speaking to me like on a personal level right now. Cause I told Courtney a couple months ago, I was like, what if I just had a sweet potato, like once in a, like once a week, you know, like what if not I even just... a couple times a week? Yeah. Or even, even oh, a white potato. I mean, sweet <laughs> potatoes are not magical, but beets, parsnips, anything just with a little more, um, even those might not be starchy enough, but I mean, potatoes are just such a convenient way to do it. You find that potatoes have like a limited amount of, um, anti-nutrient because I, I have an oxalate problem. I have to stay, I had severe kidney, um, dysfunction. So that's where I always get concerned. And I know Courtney, you kind of share the same thing. It's like, well, if I'm going to introduce like a, like a veggie or a starch, like what is safe as far as like those anti-nutrients, like I said, just so low consumption that your, your body is going to be able to take that anti-nutrient consumption, or do we like need to tread lightly still? That's a good question. I think that's probably just up to the individual. If you okay. know you have an issue, then avoid those foods. And there's so many other options besides white potatoes for you to have that it shouldn't, it right. shouldn't really be a problem. Okay. All right. I, that, thank you so much for answering. That was like a purely selfish, like I really was curious about. I, I hope it helps somebody else. I mean, really, truly, we've just become so afraid of, and I, people are probably going to think like, I, I'm crazy or something here because I'm telling people to eat carbs. No, it absolutely depends on somebody's individual situation. 
there's I've recommended carnivore for people. I've recommended more carbs for people. I dep totally depends. But I, w I went through what you're going through, I think, many years ago when I was lifting. I just I was like sapped. I just felt flat. I was fatigued, even though I I was eating food. And but I I probably wasn't eating enough like you. And I, I probably wasn't getting enough salt because I, I didn't know then what I know now. This was a long time ago. Um, and I was really, really scared to eat more carbs, but we carbohydrate, just like insulin is not poison. There are just millions upon millions of healthy, fit, athletic, lean people all around the world who eat grain and they eat fruit and they eat rice and they eat potatoes. So, um, can everyone eat that? No, of course not. But for some people in the right circumstance, not only are they not harmful, they can actually be helpful. You know, we've um, a, a strict ketogenic diet is like is like a therapeutic intervention. It's like a it's it's like a medicine. Well, once you're once you're not sick anymore, you can stop taking the medicine. Which again, not to say that people can eat keto for the long term if they want. But they, some people will also be able to reintroduce small amounts of carbohydrate, especially people who are really, really athletic. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you. So I think for... you just need to sell. It's all about like self-experimentation, I feel like too, and see what feels mm -hmm. good. And I mean, for me, I feel like a sweet potato would be a slippery slope and I'd be <laughs> eating all the things, but that doesn't mean someone else can't do that. And so, oh, sorry. Feel awesome. So, okay. Amy, we ask three fun questions at the end of every interview. Are you okay with that? Okay. All right. Number one, it's a little controversial. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, oh. If, if, uh, if you're a cur if you're someone who curses, if not, I absolutely am. <laughs> I have to be so careful when I record my own videos. I the, the F word is just a classic. It's the go-to classic. It, You're the everyone has said that F word. It encompasses all. It's useful yeah. in all situations. Yeah. Okay. You're you're not alone in that one. I think every <laughs> single one has said that F word. Um, what was your favorite unhealthy food? before going keto and getting oh. into it might be a tie so like Chinese takeout sweet and sour chicken <laughs> deep fried with that red sugary sauce all over it I could eat a mountain of that stuff that's amazing well, that, so if there's a tie it's that and cheese doodles <laughs> the crunchy ones to be specific but the puffy ones are okay too Cheese, like Cheetos. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. And then yes. last, what are you currently watching or reading? Uh, well, I just, this was a little boring maybe, but um, I mean, the book was fascinating, but it's not a novel. I just finished Chris Palmer's book, Brain Energy, which is about all the like metabolic stuff that causes all kinds of mental health stuff and so he only mentions keto really really it's not a keto book it's it's I would call it more of a psychiatry book but um I just finished that and hopefully a lot of people are going to learn from that book okay that sounds good we like the mental health topic too yeah well, I need to I need to find so 
right i don't have cable tv and right now i don't have any subscriptions to like hulu netflix so that's why i like i'm not watching anything fun i need to find something fun to watch is what i need to do i have courtney you you watch netflix too right i have tons of good recs for good yeah netflix. we usually watch an episode of some cop murder show before we go to bed nothing <laughs> says unwinding from the day like murder huh <laughs> or nightmares good times <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We appreciate all the information. This was really insightful. I feel like we got the hard, hard questions in. Yes. Thank you very much. Oh, you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Oh, yeah. Where we can find you, um, where we can get your books, all the good things. Yeah. If you look me up on Amazon, uh, my books should come up. But um my my website is in desperate need of overhaul, so I, I don't even send people there anymore, but you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Tuit Nutrition, T-U-I-T Nutrition. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Just search Amy Berger Keto. YouTube should come up. And um, something else. I the, the, the online courses I help with, it's, it's a really long website, but it's adaptyourlifeacademy.com, adaptyourlifeacademy.com. And um, I think those are the biggest places. You can go to my my second book, which is called The Stall Slayer, which is all about breaking fat loss stalls. It's stallslayer.com. People can contact me through there. Information on consultations is there. So I would do stallslayer.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.